Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. There is none, none like you. Never has one been, never is one now, and never will one ever be. Father, I pray we would be stunned in your presence right now. In awe, in humility, in dependency, in brokenness. That a loving God who needs nothing, who is completely sufficient in every way, would choose in love, compelled in love, to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we could have moments like this to worship you in spirit and in truth. The veil is torn, access given, confidence granted to enter the throne of grace right now to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And God, we are a needy people in touch of your presence today. I pray right now, whatever hurts, whatever pains, whatever struggles, whatever distractions have happened to us this week, God, I pray that we would quickly, eagerly, and joyfully just present those and cast those on you right now. And God, that your promises of peace, your promises of hope, your promises of joy, would flood our hearts because all those promises in Jesus Christ if we are in him are yes and amen so right now we just take a moment to do that here we are Lord let us come as we are and not who we think we need to be it is for freedom you have set us free Jesus, guard my mouth from error. Holy Spirit, say what you want to say to your people. Do a saving and sanctifying work among us. In Jesus' name, if church, you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, loved ones. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. And the ushers are coming forward right now uh, to hand out a copy of God's Word. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, just put up your hand real quick, and we want to drop one in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then we want to give that to you as a free gift so you can continue to study and dive in to God's Word on your own time. That's one of the greatest things we can do and getting to know and being refined and renewed by our Savior each day. And it's on page 519 in those Bibles that we are handing out to you right now. Page 519. Well, this is the, the last message. The last message. Here we are almost six months that we have been in the first four chapters of the Gospel of John. Praise the Lord for that. But this is the last message of part one of our John series. And so we're going to finish off this first big chunk of John. And then we're going to pick it up, Lord willing, again in the fall for part two, starting in chapter five. And today marks the end of the first major section of the gospel. And these first four chapters have focused on introducing us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
the person and work of Christ, and we've now been given a clear picture of the start of Jesus' public ministry. After this sign he's about to perform today, it's in full swing. All right, and so if you recall, though, we, it's important to remember this. John chapter 2 to John chapter 12 is called the book of signs. It's called the book of signs in the gospel of John. And there's seven signs total that John specifically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes about. The first one was in John 2, 1 to 11, the water in the, Jesus turning the water to wine, and now here in the healing of the official son. Now, what we must understand is this. There's a lot of confusion about signs from God. What does it mean? Why does he do them? Lots of confusion about this, but so we must understand the purpose of a sign given by God. And so just look at the, the Greek word for sign that is used all throughout the Gospel of John from beginning to end whenever we see this. The Greek word for sign means, you'll see it on the screen, semion. It's pronounced semion. And it means to confirm or corroborate or authenticate the one giving the sign. So if Jesus is giving the signs, it is to affirm or authenticate who he is as the Son of God. All right, this is the purpose of the signs. And actually, this is why John's, John includes them here, and he tells us that in the writing the purpose of the book from John 20, 30 to 31. You'll see it on the screen. John finishes off by saying, Now Jesus did many other signs, say my on, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. You may have it corroborated. You may have it authenticated. You may have it confirmed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have, here's a key word for today, life. You may have life in his name. If I, could, if I could summarize all of what we've just said into one sentence, it would be this. You'll see it on the screen. Signs from God are meant to point us back to God. Signs from God are meant to point us back to God, to display the glory of God, and show us that all we need is in God. There's the purpose of why Jesus Christ performs signs and wonders. Each of them shows something more about his character. Each of them shows something more about his nature. Some of them you'll see here, some show his authority, some show his sovereignty. The water and the wine was showing his power as creator. And now the purpose of this specific sign where he heals the official son was to confirm Christ's deity as the son of God as the Messiah, and show, here it is, here it is, and show that all we need for life is found in Christ alone. That is why it is a sign of life. It is a sign of life. Now let me ask you a question before we start on. Do you truly believe, think about this, be honest, be honest, nothing, nothing happens if we're not honest. Do you truly believe that all you need, all you need, all I need for life is found in Jesus Christ? Careful how you answer. He'll take you up on it. Think. Do you truly believe? 
Does your life reflect that belief that all you need for life is found in Jesus Christ? And you say, why is that so important to understand? Here's why. Because we live in a world that tells us there are so many things that you can find true life or satisfaction in. Do this and you'll live the good life. You'll have your best life now. If you do this, you take this opportunity, you get to this level on the corporate ladder, you have this many kids, you get married by this age. It tells us so many, if you have this kind of health, you can have true life and satisfaction. And, and the problem is we get deceived. We come to, to Christ asking him for a sign. We ask him to provide we ask him to provide those things that the world says we need instead of finding true or abundant life in Christ that he promises to those who believe in him. We come to him asking for those things the world says we need to have. And we try to find life in those things that are Empty. Why empty? Why empty? This hit me this morning in review. True life is not found in living by the flesh. It's only found in living by faith. Faith in the Son of God. True life is not found by living by the flesh. Giving into fleshly cravings. True life is only found in living by faith. Faith in the Son of God. These are written that you may believe and have life in Jesus Christ. That you may have faith in the Son of God. And here in our text today, we see three critical truths, loved ones, that we must live by if we are to live by faith and have true and abundant life in Jesus Christ that he promises to those who believe in him. Three critical truths. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, and we'll read the first few verses of our text this morning. John chapter 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee... He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, what we see off first here is this. To have life in Jesus Christ, you must live by faith, seeking the person of Christ over his provision. To have life in Jesus Christ, we must live by faith, seeking the person of Christ over his provision. And the key question that this truth confronts us with is this, loved ones. Jesus is all I need. Do I want the person of Christ more than his performance for me? Do I want the person of Christ more than his performance Notice, let's get some context. Verse 43, Jesus has just finished spending two days with the Samaritans. After staying in Sikar with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and many are coming to salvation. Recall this, John chapter 4, it started with the Samaritan woman. 
She was at the well. Jesus speaks to her about the kingdom of God, living water. She gets saved. Then she runs back into the town of Sychar and says, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. And in response to that, the very people that were rejecting her come out to meet Jesus. They get saved. They ask him to stay two more days in Samaria. Then he's teaching them a whole bunch more. There was a revival breaking out in Sychar. Beautiful. And now he departs for Galilee back to the Jewish people. He's leaving the Samaritans, going back to the Jewish people. Now, we have to understand, Jesus originally started his journey here in Jericho. We look at chapter 4, verse 3. It tells us he left Judea, and he's at the fords of Jericho with his disciples, and they're baptizing people. Then he leaves there. Judea goes into Samaria, has spent two days in Sychar, and now he's moving on to Cana. Now, what we must understand is this. Sakar to Galilee was about 80 kilometers. That's about an 80-kilometer distance he's walking. It's going to be about two or three days. He couldn't just take an Uber. Okay, now why is he going another 80 kilometers with his disciples? He's going there because it's a place, he tells us in verse 44. Did you see that? A prophet has no honor in his own hometown, Jesus said. He's going there because it's a place where he has no honor with the people. The word honor there means, the Greek, not valued. He's not worth anything to the people of Galilee at this point. And he wants to minister to where people do not know him. And so that's why he says hometown, because he happened, remember Jesus was from Galilee. He was from a city and a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And so he's going back to his hometown where there's no no honor for him. But then look at verse 45 to 47. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans, look at their reception, guys. They welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went down. He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. See, Jesus gets into Galilee here. He gets into it, and the people start welcoming him. Notice that this seems to be going pretty well. But notice why they welcome him. Why were they welcoming him? As the Son of God? As the Messiah? No, no, no. Just read the text. They had seen some of his miracles performed at the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Remember from John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, it says he's down at the Passover performing many more miracles. And people, quote unquote, believed in him. So here they are welcoming him. But we have to understand, they're not welcoming Christ for who he is as the Son of God. They're not welcoming him for who he is as the Messiah. Their hearts are not open to that. They're welcoming him for what they thought he could do for them. Saying, we're going to go to Jesus for what he can do for me, not for who he is. What he, how he can perform for me based on the miracles that they had already seen him do. See, they aren't seeking out the person of Christ as the Messiah, but they're seeking out his provision, material provision. Hey, Jesus, we're going to welcome you. Of course I want to welcome Jesus. I could maybe have the food on the table that I want. He turned the water into wine. Surely he can provide for my cupboard. 
Surely he can provide healing for me. Now, surely I'm going to welcome Jesus. Don't we do the same thing today? I'm going to run to Jesus. Forget about believing in him as the son of God. I'm going to run to him for what he can just do for me. Get me out of a bad situation. Make my life more convenient. I see this all the time. All the time. It's rampant in the church and outside of the church today. And verses 46 and 47, they highlight this unbelief through the life of a royal official of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was a tetrarch. He was one of three leaders in Israel. And here, this Galilee region was his to oversee. And this official means he was a royal advisor to Herod. He was a he is one with great power. And so notice something, though. The official lives in Capernaum and hears that Jesus has come to Cana. So you see where Capernaum is on the map there? Top of the Sea of Galilee? So Jesus is in Cana. Official hears that Jesus has come to Cana. So he makes a 32-kilometer trek up an elevation of 1,350 feet to get to Jesus. He leaves Capernaum. 32 kilometers, up 1,350 feet, and in desperation, he makes the trip to Cana, goes to Jesus, and asks him to come back to Capernaum to heal his son who was ill and at the point of imminent death. Now, you, understand, you have to understand there, in 47 where it says he asked Jesus to come, it actually means he begged. He's begging him. This royal official with lots of power, all of his power meant nothing at this point. There was nothing he could do to save his son. No, no law he could write, no a trump card he could pull. His son was at imminent death. And now look at verse 48. Look at Jesus' response to him. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus sees this man, and, and here it is. It's a, actually a negative tone. Jesus isn't condemning the man. He's not speaking condescendingly, but he's like, really? Unless you, you're so desperate for a provision. You're so desperate. Really? I'm the son of God. I'm so much more than what you're asking for. And yet, here you are asking for this out of your unbelief. And so the you that he uses in this verse is plural, unless you see. So he's not just focusing on the official now, he's focusing on the people of Galilee that have no doubt crowded around him. And with a negative tone, he tells them that unless they see him perform a sign, they won't believe in him as the Messiah. Why? We, we have to understand, it could be, oh, Jesus is just being harsh. This guy's son's dying. What are you doing? What do you mean you can't provide for them? What do you mean you're gonna be almost rebuking this man? And the people around. Aren't they coming to you? See, we have to understand this, loved ones. This royal official, even in his desperate situation, and, and I don't I have four little boys, but and by all indications, this was this guy's only son. But I have four little boys, and the thought of like me being in this situation, like my heart goes out to this guy. Jesus isn't being hard on him because he's not caring and loving towards him. My heart goes out to him. But this royal official is guilty of using Jesus for his own purposes. Are you? Am I? He's just as guilty as the others in Galilee who came and welcomed him. Come, Jesus. 
Yes, we want to jump on the Jesus bandwagon. Get a little provision. Make my life better. And Jesus is rebuking, loved ones, Jesus is rebuking their belief, which is based on a sign or performance and is not based on the person of Christ himself as the Messiah. Their belief in Christ was coming from a wrong motivation. This is what he's pushing back on here. Jesus says, he goes, you're, you're searching for life. This guy's coming to Jesus, searching for life. Can you give my son life? He goes, you are searching for life, yet you're turning to a sign. Instead of turning to me, who is the source of life and the only one who can give life, true life. You're turning to the sign, and you're not turning to me. The miracle isn't what you ultimately need in this situation, official. I am. The miracle isn't ultimately what you need. It's Jesus himself. Today, loved ones, don't we do the same thing, though? We so often want to seek out Jesus not for who he is as the son of God where life is truly found, but we want to seek him out more for the provision or the handout we think he can give us to get us out of a situation. We want him to perform for us like a genie. Make our lives better through ease, comfort, resources, and satisfaction from this world. Hey, loved ones, to underscore all of this, you see this quote on the screen. Trusting in what Jesus can do, know this, is not the same as truly trusting in who he is. This guy was trusting in what Jesus could do. He had seen the miracles performed. I've seen him provide all these things. I've seen but trusting in what he can do is not the same as truly trusting in who he is. And this is what he's calling out in the hearts of the Galileans right here. Right here. Question. Do you want the person of Christ more than the performance of Christ? How about in your situation right now? Just drill down. What is it? Look at your situation you're facing. What is it? Is your prayer, is your prayer in that situation, Jesus, you see what I'm facing? How about in that health situation that you're facing, that trial that's right there in front of you? The uncertainty, the, the, the confusion, all of this. How about if the, that anxiety that situation's making you anxious, worried, or stressed. Hey, students, uh, some of our college students are back now, and the rest will, Lord willing, be back next week. But here's the reality. It was reading week this past week, right? Right? What book did you spend most of the time reading? Who were you pursuing? How about this? Jesus, you see what I'm facing right there, but what I truly need, right there, what I truly need in this situation is not the material provision. What I truly need right now is more of you. Is that your prayer? So, it takes faith, loved ones. That's why we've got to live by faith. Do we truly believe Jesus is all we need? You are my peace. You can call out that you are my peace because I know 
even in the pain, even in the uncertainty, even in the hurt, even in the, in the despair, in the grief, I know that no sign, no material sign you could give me ultimately will satisfy me and bring true life into the situation here. Because you are my peace, Jesus. Ephesians says he is our peace. You are my comfort. Not the next diagnosis, not the next amount of clarity. You are my comfort. You are my refuge. You are my shield. You are my faith. You are my strength. You are my joy. My joy is not dependent on what happens in this situation. My joy is dependent on the one who is the source of it. You are my helper. You are my grace to get through this. You are the true life and no material provision that you could ever provide can give that. You alone, Jesus. And although, although, listen, listen, it's good that we bring our requests to God. It is. Father loves to give good gifts to his children. But our prayer needs to be, although I do ask for the healing, meet this need if it will bring you the most glory. I am still choosing right now by faith to ask for more of you because you are truly what I need. More of your person, more of your presence. I'm here in the middle of this situation because I'm going to seek you for your worth and not for your works. Because you are worthy to be sought. And you're still going to be worthy to be sought after you brought me through it. What is that for you right now? In response, you want to hear a prayer that blesses the heart of God? In response to that cry, Jesus says, yes, I am so much more than anything you could ever ask me for. It's not wrong to ask for things from God, to meet needs that are put in front of you. It's one of the ways he uses to build our faith. But the danger becomes when we ask for the gift above the giver. We ask for the provision above the person who gives it. What characterizes your prayer life and mine more? See, one of I was thinking through this this week and I in this conclusion, one of the worst failures in life, loved ones, is getting what you asked for but miss getting Jesus in the process. His true life is found in him. Get the job, get the need met, get this, get that. Did you get Jesus? Do you, are you more in love with him now? Did, did you say, no matter what you decide to do, I'm with you. I want more of you in this because in you is all I need. That's where we find true life. That's where it comes from. Why? You see it on the screen. True life is not found in the material provision from Christ. It is found in the person of Christ. True life is not found in the material provision from Christ. It is found in the person of Christ. 
To have life in Jesus Christ, you must live by faith, seeking the person of Christ over his provision. And with this, you must live by faith, trusting the word of Christ and obeying it. As we seek Christ and we start to trust his word and obey it. And the question that we are confronted with in this second point today is this. Jesus will fulfill his promises. Will you trust and obey him? Will you trust and obey him? Look at verses 49 to 53. It says this. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He's not getting it. He's not getting it. Come down before my child dies. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. What a promise there. The man believed the word. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the servants, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew That was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. See, in response to Jesus, what a transaction right here. That is amazing. What a picture. In response to Jesus, the official misses the point. He misses the point of what Jesus is saying and believing him as the son of God and not just chasing some provision. But he begs Jesus again to go to Capernaum with him to heal his son. But notice what Jesus does. Instead of going with him, notice the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ right here. Notice his mercy towards this man. Instead of going with him, Jesus, out of his grace and mercy for him, despite his unbelief at this moment, gives him the command to go and promises that his son will live. Look at the power of Jesus there. This is like a long-distance healing. He doesn't have to be in the room with the guy to lay hands on him. He's just like, go, your son will live. 30 clicks, Try the universe. Tells him, man, go. In his mercy towards this man, our God is so merciful. He's so gracious, loved ones. He sees what you're going through. He sees the uncertainty. He knows it. He knows it. He knows every fear you're not even expressing to those people around you. He knows it better than you do. He looks into that situation. He says, he says I want to pour my mercy out. I want to pour my grace out. Will you trust my word and obey me to see it? Will you? It's there. It's poured out for you. Will you trust me for it? Or will you seek me for other things? In response to the word that Jesus spoke and the promise he made, he believed. This man believed based on what he knew Jesus had done before. It's not saving faith at this point. He just believed. I saw Jesus do miracles before. I'll see him do it again. Okay, I'll take him at his word. And he immediately heads back on the 30-kilometer hike to Capernaum with nothing but the word or promise of God to go on. And as he's part of the way home, his servants meet him. Look at this interaction. Servants come running to him on the road. They tell him his son is recovering. And his recovery started the day before at the seventh hour. The seventh hour in Jewish time is 1 p.m. The day starts at 6 a.m. So at 1 p.m. And this was precisely, we see here, when Jesus made the promise and sent the man home. Now notice what happened. One commentator put it this way. Jesus commanded this royal official and he obeyed. 
He believed the word which Jesus spoke. But at this point, there was no sign. He just believed Jesus' word. It wasn't a seeing is believing thing. His belief led to seeing. There's no sign at this point. There's only the word of the word. The word of God himself. Jesus Christ. And this man believed it. Question, would you, if you were in his shoes? I just hiked 32 kilometers. You're just going to say that thing? Don't you know my son's at imminent death? Don't you know the situation I'm facing? And all Jesus said from his word was, go. Your son will live. See, Jesus, out of his incredible mercy and grace, did not hesitate to fulfill the promise he made to this unbeliever whose request was based on nothing more than a faithless demand for miracles. How much more, just begs the question, how much more will Jesus not delay in showing his mercy and grace in fulfilling his promises to his own children? If they would trust his word and obey. I love that. I love that song. It brings back that old worship piece. You know, trust and obey. For the, come on, come on. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Loved ones, Jesus will fulfill his promises. Yes and amen. Will you trust and obey him? There are some promises that are absolutely unconditional. That means God's going to fulfill it unilateral, no problem. But there are many where Jesus says, if then, if then, if then. So will you stand firm on Christ's word and obey it in faith through his power at work in you, knowing that his word will always prove true in his time. How about in that situation right now where, let's just go, I, there, you know there's over 3,000 promises in God's word? Over 3,000. Let's just look at a few. Depending on where you're at today, maybe some of these will resonate with you. Fear. That, in that situation where you're feeling fearful. Look at, look at, here it is. Trust and obey. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. When we call, are we willing to call on the Lord? When we start to feel afraid, what are we turning to? What are we calling on? It doesn't mean your situation's gonna work out like you want it to. It's gonna work out for the glory of God. But in the process, you get him and you see and know and taste his presence. And you are satisfied. That's such a beautiful promise against fear. How about this? A promise against anxiety. Look at this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that situation right now. Do not be anxious. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the word for you today. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Right in the middle of the anxiety, thankfulness. Look at that. Such a powerful weapon against anxiety. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look what happens. If then, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard. I love that picture. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, not happening in my house. How about this? Promises against weariness. Weariness. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. Jesus says, there, come. Come. If you come, all who labor and are heavy laden. What's the promise? I will give you rest. Rest in me. I will give you rest. Not in your next vacation. Not in the, I will give you rest. Right in the middle of what you're facing. Are we coming to him? Are you going to him, loved ones? He says, come to me. Will we stand on his promise? Take him at his word. How about this? In your hurt and your pain right now. In your hurt and in your pain. Maybe someone has said something or done something to you in the past and you're just holding on to that. Burying that because it's too painful. Look at what he says. Look at the promise here. He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. What a merciful, loving, gracious God. He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. So what are you trusting in to bind the wound? Or are you just trying to cover it and be distracted from it? about this promises against weakness maybe physical weakness maybe some of us here struggling with severe health issues or just feeling weak and worn out from the day to day look at this promise but he said to me says the apostle my grace here it is the God of mercy and grace my grace is sufficient I know what you're I see it I know it better than you do I know what needs to happen more than you do I know but my grace is still sufficient for you not other things you're going to try to pursue For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see how backwards this is to the world? Come from a place of strength. Meanwhile, you're feeling so run down in parenting your kids. You're like, praise the Lord, I'm like totally weak and can't get out of bed today. How many times do we do that? Instead of, oh, We can boast in our weaknesses. The power of Christ will be upon us. His grace is sufficient. Just like it was sufficient for this man here. How about this? Maybe some of us here struggling with this loneliness. Loneliness. Look at the promise God makes here. For he has said, I will never, look at that promise, never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe some of our students here, you're separated from your families. You ever struggle with this? Who are you going to? What are you pursuing to try to fill this? Maybe trying to bring other people in to fulfill that longing that really they can't fill and you don't want them to fill, trust me. Is that what you're seeking? Or are you seeking the only one who can fill it? The one who says, I won't leave you, loved one. I see see it. You're longing for these things. And all these people are getting together with their friends. What about me? What about me? 
I see that. Will you come to me or are you still going to put that on them to try to satisfy you? How about this? Last one. How about in our temptations to sin? What are the promises? Sin, we'll be tempted to sin every day. Probably we're already this morning, like me. Temptations to sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Know this, know this. Circle this in your Bibles. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The question is, are you looking for the way of escape? It's there. You say, this is too strong. What do I do? God is faithful. The way of escape is there. But are you trusting his word and obeying it to look for it? Say, I don't see God's power. I don't see that. Are you walking in obedience? Standing on his promises? They will prove true. See, like this man, you may not see how the promise will be fulfilled. He didn't know how the promise was going to be filled. Jesus just said it. But you can 100% rest assured that it will be in God's time and in God's way. And it will be for his glory. Because signs from God are always for the glory of God. The question isn't that we're confronted with today. The question isn't, you'll see it on the screen. The question isn't, will Jesus do what he says The question is, will I trust and obey him to see it? To have life in Jesus Christ, you must live by faith. Seek the person of Christ over his provision. We must trust the word of Christ and obey it. And the last truth that is found, that is the foundation for all of this, for all others, is that to have life in Christ, you must live by faith, believing Jesus is the Messiah and living for him believing Jesus is the Messiah and living for him look at this Uh, the question that we're confronted with is Jesus is the only way to life will I believe in him and live for him look what happens the father verse 53 the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed there's the result he himself believed different word for belief there different meaning for belief there actually, and all his household. Verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. See, in response to hearing that Jesus has healed his son, the official has his heart opened by the Holy Spirit and believes. The Greek word there for believes is pistuo, which means he puts his faith in, confidence in, surrenders his life to Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Savior. He sees him for who he is. He was believing he was the son of God and the only one whose salvation was found in. It's no longer just a belief in what Jesus can do. It's a belief in Jesus himself as the Messiah. Now notice, notice this. Like the woman at the well. Notice, notice the parallel here. Look at one of the first things this man does. He goes to witness. He goes to witness. Only instead of going back into the town, he goes into his own house. He goes into his own house and he leads them to the same truth about Jesus that he had come to believe in. Think of that moment, that guy's testimony. This royal official comes just fired up back home. His family's like, what happened to you? He goes, let me tell you. 
The result, not just he ends up being saved, but his entire household. Why? Because faithfulness is multiplied. God never works in isolation. Faithfulness is multiplied. Love it. Love it. And he's like, forget my reputation. He's like, forget my, my title. There's only one reputation that I'm concerned about now. That I'm living for the Messiah. There's only his reputation that's on my lips. Forget about all the rest. I'm telling my own family about him. See, his superficial belief about Christ has now become a full commitment to Christ in surrendering his life to him and no longer living for himself. Has your Question, has your belief in Christ led you to living a life of full commitment to Christ? Think about this. If you're here and you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just do a little bit of a limit. What, who do your prayers, what does your schedule, what do your conversations show that you, who you are truly living for? Who are we proclaiming? Is he increasing? Are we decreasing? Jesus isn't, don't get me wrong, we're not talking about living a perfect life. We're talking about perseverance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is he increasing, though, as you and I are decreasing? Think about this right here as a follow-up. What area or areas do you need to surrender to him today and begin to walk by faith in the life that he desires to give? Maybe it's seeking his person over his provision. Maybe it's trusting his word and standing on that promise and walking in obedience. Maybe it's this living for him alone as your Messiah. How can we be so concerned, loved ones, as followers of Christ? It just hit me. How can we be so concerned about seeing God's kingdom advance when we're more concerned about our kingdom advancing? Who are we living for? And maybe you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your Savior and your first step, like this official, is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God that came as fully God and fully man and who suffered and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. The penalty that you and I deserve and ultimately leads to hell and separation from God for eternity. Yet, yet, Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross, was buried and three days later rose from the dead, defeating the penalty of sin and death for all time and offering forgiveness and eternal life. Life to all who repent of their sin and believe in their heart that he is Lord. And he's saying to you today, come. You're not here by accident. Come. Come and taste and see. Will you come? Because these things are written, as John said, we started out with, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through you. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the incredible evidence of your mercy, incredible evidence of your grace. We cannot earn this, Father. You, it is by grace, this same grace, that you are saved through faith. This not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. God, there is nothing we can do to have true life in you on our own. So God, would you help us right now? Would you open our hearts to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I want to turn from all this other stuff. I want to turn to you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. And for those who've done that, I pray right now, God, I pray so much. This would be a day of surrender. This would be a day of release. This would be a reorienting of our heart to seek you first as our first love. Your presence, your person over your performance. And God, if you never give us, if you never give us anything else except the promise of eternal life with you, I pray it would be enough for us. I pray for this, God. And I ask right now, just as we sing this last song, God, we would know that only Jesus gives life. Only Jesus gives life. Jesus, only Jesus. And we would come to you ready, ready to receive. In Jesus' name.